things my family did I am not the voices in my head I am not the pieces of the brokenness inside I am light I am light Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Being Inspired. I am Amanda Johnson. I am your host and I am in the midst of offering you recordings of my book, Becoming Enough, A Heroine's Journey to the Already Perfect Self. I have in previous episodes read aloud the preface, introduction, and chapter one, and today I would like to continue with chapter two. And I'm doing this because I think it is a way for, first of all, me to share this in a different medium, in a different platform. It gives me a little practice as I prepare to record the audiobook version. And it offers you a glimpse into this book that is so important to me and a book that I truly believe in. And it brings it to you in another format. So if you like what you hear, of course, tune in for more or go buy the book. Uh, and hopefully the audio will be available sooner than later and you could get it that way as well. So I'm going to be continuing today in part one, the call. There is nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. Shakespeare. Chapter 2. Meeting the Enemy I have another story to tell. It's a story of a six-year-old girl standing in the kitchen, proudly helping her mother clean up after dinner one night. She is placing all the dishes into the dishwasher one by one, thinking what a good little helper she is. She completes her job and turns to her mother for loving approval and affirmation of a job well done. Her mother, a lovely woman who takes great pride in her homemaking and problem-solving skills, smiles at her daughter and goes to the dishwasher where she promptly begins to rearrange things in an effort to teach her daughter the most effective way to load it. Sadly, while this may have taught the little girl how to utilize the space most effectively, it taught her something else. There is a right way to do things, and she had just done it wrong. I was this little girl. Whether or not this actually happened, this is the story I choose to remember as an example of where I learned what it means to do things right. It may sound silly that something as innocuous as loading a dishwasher could have had such an influence on my life, but when I think back to my first memories of learning right from wrong, this one comes to mind immediately. To this day, I can still feel the power of the story as I notice my stress levels begin to rise by the simple act of loading a dishwasher, fearing that I might do it wrong. For as long as I can remember, I have had a desire to do things the right way. This means I have lived most of my life in judgment. Judgment forms an opinion or a conclusion about everything. It is either too much or not enough. There is a right and a wrong, good or bad, black or white. If I am not right, then I must be wrong. If I am not good, then I must be bad. If I am not more than enough, then I must be less than enough. It all boils down to this. If I am one and not the other, then I must be unlovable. The reason there is always something to fix is because I judge things as right or wrong and feel the need to right my wrongs. It never just is. This is why I wore a shield of judgment for most of my life. Without one, I feared I would not be okay. If I wasn't judging the hair on my arms, I was judging the outfit that girl was wearing. 
I judged myself for being too opinionated. I judged others for being too opinionated. I judged myself for being too lazy. I judged others for being too lazy. I judged myself for working too hard. You guessed it. I judged others for working too hard. I even judged myself for being judgmental. In all these cases, someone wasn't doing it right. It was me or them, and oftentimes it was both. Sometimes it was easier to judge myself. Other times it was easier to judge them. It was one way of relieving myself from the weight of carrying around this shield, like letting air out of a balloon that is about to pop. I so desperately wanted to rid myself of this judgment and thought the only reason it existed was because someone was doing something wrong. I didn't realize I had it backwards. It's not as though I was judgmental because you were doing it wrong. Rather, the reason I even perceived it as wrong was due to my judgment. So long as I view the world through the lens of right versus wrong, judgment begets judgment and prevents me from being with what is. On my journey to get things right, I enslaved myself to perfectionism, self-doubt, and comparison. I read countless books to find the answers. I signed up for endless emails and seminars and workshops. I wanted to be the perfect wife, the perfect friend, the perfect actor, the perfect meditator, the perfect writer. At the same time, I wanted you to be the perfect parent, the perfect boss, the perfect sibling, the perfect husband, the perfect mentor. No pressure. Through all this, I was looking to feel good enough. I thought if I shaved the hair off of my arms, then I would be pretty. If I was the perfect wife, then I would feel cherished. If I read all the self-help books, then I would no longer be broken. If you were the perfect partner, then I would be okay. Each of us has our own incident that teaches us right from wrong and what it means to be perfect. Mine happened to be loading a dishwasher in order to please my mother. When I chose to interpret her rearranging the dishes as a sign of my doing it wrong, I internalized if I didn't do it right, I was unlovable, and therefore, to be loved, I must be perfect. And to be perfect meant always doing it right and never doing it wrong. Quite an extreme way to live. It crept into everything from how I loaded a dishwasher, to the way I tied my shoes, to how I composed an email, to the way I practiced meditation. I want to point out that the loading of the dishwasher is simply a symbol, an event that I chose to place meaning on and interpret in a certain way. This is what we humans do, often when we are young and forming our ego's identity. In no way do I blame my mother for what she did or for my interpretation of the event. It's just an example of how we turn events into stories with meaning, and then how those stories and meanings can affect the rest of our lives. That is, until we decide to question them, take responsibility for them, and ultimately transform them. Because of this pervasive belief that there is such a thing as right or wrong, perfectionism ruled my life. This often meant that I ended up quitting sooner or starting way later than I would have liked. It also meant I would inevitably doubt myself and constantly look to others to see how I was doing, always looking outside for validation. As soon as something was no longer easy for me to do perfectly, I wanted to give up. It felt so much safer than continuing and risking doing it wrong, which terrified me. Equally, I would hem and haw and put things off out of fear that I would eventually reach the point of doing it wrong, which only meant one thing, failure. This paralyzed me. Failure was by far way worse than not doing anything at all. 
I have had a love affair with perfectionism for most of my life. There were things I loved about it and was exhilarated by, and things I hid and was ashamed by. I used it as an excuse for why I didn't take action, why I took so long to do something, and why I was so judgmental of others. I took great pride in it being the reason I have such a great attention to detail and am such a reliable employee. Many of us look at perfectionism and see it as having positive qualities, the ones to accentuate, and negative qualities, the ones to minimize or fix. I certainly did. It was my way of justifying this protective device. It wasn't until I redefined perfectionism altogether that I would be able to see how both the positive and negative qualities are perfect and inherent in who I am, and all of them are worthy of my acceptance. I no longer needed the label to hold me back or propel me forward. The way I see it, we tend to get hung up on perfectionism in three ways. We believe we are inadequate and reach for a false sense of perfection because we forget that we are already perfect as we are. We paralyze ourselves thinking that perfect is how we think it should go based on our limited and false understanding as opposed to how it is meant to go. And we believe perfection is achieved by doing things a certain way as opposed to being. So long as I carried around this shield of perfectionism, I would never feel enough, putting off the adventure awaiting me. I understand why I used it. It was the best tool I could find at the time and all I knew. As I got older, I started to look at my perfectionism for what it truly was, a shield that kept me from feeling loved and a weapon that kept me from loving others. Whenever I held up my shield, believing that I have to do things a certain way, and more times than not, it wasn't good enough or done right, I kept myself from connecting to my true self and withholding love from who I am at my core. I experienced a barrage of insults and an inner dialogue full of critiques. You didn't work hard enough on that. You should have proofread that one more time. You are such a slob. Then I projected those beliefs out to everyone else. Holding up my shield of perfectionism, I demanded that they do it a certain way and do it right. When anyone fell short of that, I withheld my love from them. The very thing I started using this shield for was the very thing it kept me from feeling. Love and connection. Another reason I postponed my adventure to becoming enough was because of my debilitating doubt. Doubt is another way fear and judgment parade around and keep us from trusting the voice within. We cannot trust ourselves so long as we live in judgment, since it keeps us from simply observing what is. Much like perfectionism, doubt springs from the dualistic belief that there is a this or that, as opposed to this and that, as if one choice is better than another and that there even is a good and bad, as if we are applying a valuation of sorts to our existence. Doubt keeps us stuck in the loop of less than and not enough. My striving for perfection went hand-in-hand hand with my nagging self-doubt, a total lack of trust in my inner knowing and my unique gifts. This doubt kept reminding me that there is always more to fix. I don't know enough. I'm not capable, worthy, or important enough. Who am I to trust myself? Am I working too much or not enough? Did I say too much or too little? Should I have married this person or gotten a divorce? Did I make a mistake? Mistakes are born of judgment. If there is no right or wrong, there can be no mistakes. Only gifts. Lots and lots of gifts. 
To doubt if what I did or did not do was a mistake requires judgment. Turning left instead of right is only a mistake if I believe turning left is wrong. Choosing this school, career, place to live, spouse, car, or meal is only a mistake if I see it as right or wrong versus a gift no matter what. As humans, we like to have an answer. Sending that message was wrong, whereas not sending it would have been right. Because not knowing feels uncomfortable. It is not the uncertainty that is keeping us from not feeling enough. It is our unwillingness to live with the uncertainty. Should I do this or that? Should I buy this or that? Is this or that better? It's like watching a ping pong match for 30 years. Whether I spoke my mind or refrained from saying what I thought, doubt set in. Much like perfectionism, paralysis can be a result of doubt, keeping us from shining our light. I can think of so many times when my doubt would lead me to think through every possible scenario without ever landing on a suitable option. While seemingly harmless, ordering from a menu would often induce sweaty palms and increased heart rate and a deep sense of dread bordering on panic attack. I would scour the menu, reading each and every option, wavering between them, asking others what they were getting or thought I should get. I would be the last to order, delaying the inevitable, feeling the fear well up in my chest and apprehension tighten my throat as I stated my decision to the server, disappointment washing over me the moment the words escaped my lips. Undoubtedly, the next breath would be me saying, I should have gotten that. And it didn't help when the meals arrived, and somehow I always seemed to prefer what someone else had ordered, just proving how I, once again, made the wrong choice. The mask of doubt not only colored how I reacted to my decisions, it also tainted how I saw myself. I doubted my enoughness, but not in the way I would have suspected. It's not like I thought, I'm not good enough to approach that guy, or I probably won't get the role, so why even bother? Surprisingly, I went after a lot of stuff. I got leading roles. I got accepted into schools. I got the guy. My doubt did not keep me small by always paralyzing me. It kept me in check when my ego thought I was getting a little too big for my britches. Who do you think you are? He would ask in a snarky voice. You're not talented enough to have this role. You're not pretty enough to keep this guy. Lying dormant. Beneath the cape of arrogance is more doubt, more fear. If my perfectionism had me seeking validation of my goodness from those around me, my doubt made sure I would never accept it. It would sneak up on me afterward and say, they're just saying that, they don't really mean it. You just got lucky. You'll still never be as good as she is. This is where the cloak of comparison comes in, seeking outside validation either by being better or worse. If there is a right and a wrong and I am striving to do it right, I constantly look to others to determine my goodness. Using my judgment as my measuring stick, I can immediately assess where I stand. Comparison offers me a false sense of security. Either I get to be wrong and avoid taking responsibility for my own truth or risk making my own mistakes by doing it your way, Or I can feel safe in knowing that I am right and therefore better than you. Either way, I determine my goodness by those around me. When comparing myself with others, I don't have to listen to my own inner voice. I don't have to trust myself 
I get to offload my responsibility and trust you. And then I get to blame you when it doesn't work. It's not my fault I failed. I was just doing what you did. Comparison allows me to determine my enoughness by focusing on what others have, do, wear, and look like, and then see how I measure up. The cloak of comparison can be quite inconsistent. One day it has me thinking just how smart and frugal I am because I don't spend endless hours shopping for clothes and material possessions that don't matter. And the very next it has me thinking just how stupid and destitute I am because I don't have more money in the bank. Either way, I am not enough. I am not accepting who I truly am. When we compare ourselves to others, we deny our equality as well as all the beautiful, authentic qualities we each possess. Much of my perfectionism, self-doubt, and comparison stemmed from the false belief that I am lacking goodness, and the only way to achieve it is by doing or efforting. One of my favorite tools for understanding the human and spiritual condition is the Enneagram, a seemingly simple yet subtly complex system to support the journey of self-discovery. It explains that there are nine personality types that describe human behavior. Each type has its own basic desire and fear that dictates how we operate in the world. The journey for each type is to awaken to the realization that what we are seeking to receive out there is already in here. For me, my primary belief is that I am not inherently good, that I am somehow broken and bad, and that I need to do something in order to be good get good grades, please my parents, excel at everything I do, and avoid anything that I am not naturally inclined toward, and do more, work harder, and constantly improve. Ironically, this belief kept me from experiencing the one thing I thought I was lacking, my innate goodness. No matter how hard I tried or how much work I did, I was still never good enough. It was forever out of reach, an elusive idea that I could not seem to grab hold of. So I did what any sane person would do, I kept trying harder and doing more work to achieve it. That makes sense, right? If something doesn't work, just keep doing the same thing only harder this time? This is why it wasn't easy to lay down my shield. I feared that without it, I was open to attack. People might not like me or accept me. Ultimately, they will not love me. As a human, this is the worst fear we have. And to some degree, I was correct. Until I could love and accept myself as intrinsically good, no one else could either. For other types, it might be that you do not believe you are inherently loved, or valuable, or beautiful, or wise, or supported, or free, or peaceful, or strong. These are what you think you are lacking, and therefore pick up whatever shield or protective device you think you need in order to go into battle and reclaim it from the external world. The mistake we keep making, however, is that the shield, or mask, or cloak, does not open us up to experience that for which we are searching. It is a protective force. Its whole purpose is to keep things from penetrating us. This is the opposite of what we are really going for, to receive more love and connection. Not that this is actually found outside ourselves, but when we keep our shields up, we do not allow for what is already within us to reach others and be reflected back. As St. Francis of Assisi says, for it is in giving that we receive. We only receive from others a reflection of what we have already given, and this only happens when we lower our shields, or masks, or cloaks.
While visiting my boyfriend's family for Christmas in Texas, I was standing in the bathroom thinking about these concepts. Oddly, inspiration loves to strike me while snugly contained within the four walls of a bathroom, oftentimes while standing in the shower when I can't write it down. On this particular day, an image of a shield pops into my awareness. I start to make this connection to how I have used perfectionism, doubt, and comparison to protect myself for so many years. Then I make the connection of how I see others using the corporate ladder, alcohol, building a successful business, shopping, or accumulation of money to do the same thing. At the end of the day, whichever shield we choose, we are defending ourselves from feeling vulnerable to attack while on the hunt for what it is we seek. Here lies the paradox. We are invulnerable to attack because we already have within that which we seek without, but we can only discover this once we lay down the shield. When I was in the early stages of writing this book, I didn't want to read anything about perfectionism, including Brene Brown's book on the topic, out of fear that it might fill my mind with someone else's experiences and conclusions. Still, I deeply respect her work and what she stands for, and I wanted to include a quote of hers in this book. So I did what anyone in this day and age would do. I googled, perfectionism quote, Brene Brown. Lo and behold, this is the quote that the search engine returns to me. Understanding the difference between healthy striving and perfectionism is critical to laying down the shield and picking up your life. Great minds, I suppose. The lesson I keep learning each time I lay down my shield, remove my mask, and hang up my cloak is that I am already good. It's already within me, and there is nothing I need to do in order to be good. Equally, I am inherently lovable, and valuable, and beautiful, and wise, and secure, and free, and peaceful, and strong. Each of us is, and there's nothing we need to do to be these things. This is why it's safe to lay down our shields. Sure, at first it feels scary, vulnerable, open to attack, but it's only by doing so that we can learn the truth with a capital T. As we lower our shields, we begin to see all the things we desire reflected back to us time and time again in everyone we meet and everything we experience. This is our proof that it already exists within. If I didn't already know what love or peace or goodness felt like, I wouldn't be able to recognize it in another. If I didn't already have a reference point for beauty within, I wouldn't be able to perceive it in the flower. My shield of judgment kept me under the illusion that without it I am not enough. It kept me from being who I truly am. While I might have thought it was keeping me safe, it was actually keeping me from experiencing what I truly desire. My invitation is that we lay down our shields and learn to trust that what we are seeking is already within, and then give that to others more than ever before. When I began to lay down my shield of judgment, as heavy as it was, I began to transform the way I looked at perfectionism, doubt, and comparison, preparing myself to once and for all accept my ultimate quest. My adventure was founded on learning to transform fear into love. I was unable to see myself as whole, complete, and worthy so long as I was afraid of what that would mean. I was unable to trust the all-knowing voice within so long as I feared the outcome. 
I was unable to realize my innate enoughness without comparing myself with others so long as I was afraid of what it means to be connected with all things. I had to stop trying to be perfect so others would love me and instead love myself. I had to stop seeking others' opinions and listen to my own inner wisdom. I had to stop comparing myself with what everyone else did or didn't do to feel special and instead see our sameness. My journey to becoming enough meant I had to find the perfection within, trust myself, and see myself reflected back to me in everyone I see. And it wouldn't happen until I was ready. And there is chapter two, everyone. Thank you so much for, again, listening and tuning in and hearing what truth is being spoken to you through these words that found their way through my mind, through my heart, through my soul, out through my fingertips and onto the page for all of us to savor and for all of us to use as a form of remembrance of who we truly are. I will continue reading from part one in the next episode. I invite you to come back and listen to the others if you haven't done so already. And until then, peace and blessings. <laughs>